0: This podcast audio is from episode 12, Letting Go of Road Rage and Grudges, from my YouTube channel, Being Happy Anyway with Glenn. Also available on Instagram, Facebook, and the website, beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. To see the visual content featured in this episode, please visit the published episode on beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. How do you handle resentment? How do you deal with grudges and road rage? The story behind Paul McCartney's song, Let It Be, offers powerful insight into overcoming anxiety, impatience, and worry. In the spring of 1978, my good friends Mike and Tom and I were in their dad's car as we were going to drive to go to an Oakland A's game. We lived in the suburb of Concord, and we were heading down to Oakland about a half an hour away to see the A's play. As Mr. Biasati entered the on-ramp, all of a sudden, on our left, this car came speeding around, cut him off a little bit, and Mike said, Dad, flip him off, honk your horn, chase him down. That's what Glenn would do. I, of course, was very embarrassed and horrified and thought Mr. Biasati was going to give me a big loud lecture. What Mike said, of course, was true. Unfortunately, those are the foolish things I did as a 16-year-old driver. Instead, Mr. Biasati said, now Mike, I'm so happy to be in the car with you and your brother Tom, and I'm glad that you guys are friends with Glenn again, and that we are going together to see an Oakland a's game at the Coliseum. Nobody is going to ruin my day. I was shocked. Mr. Biasati was a big, strong, handsome Italian man that commanded respect. He was our county assessor, and he was a very good person. And I thought that being a strong, masculine man meant that I needed to fight with everybody about everything. I needed to prove how strong I was. I needed to prove how tough I was and that nobody could cut me off. That was sort of a novel approach to things. I thought, just let it go. Let it be. No one's going to ruin my day. I'm going to a baseball game with my sons and his friend, and let's just have a good time. Mr. Biasati, Tom, Mike, and I had a wonderful time at the A's game, eating colossal dogs, peanuts, and chocolate malts. The reason Mr. Biasati said that he was happy that his sons Tom and Mike were friends with Glenn again was because Mike and I hadn't spoken to each other from October of 1977 until March of 1978. That's me with my Converse high tops on top of the chair in front of me, and Mike is next to me. The reason we hadn't spoken for all those months was a disagreement about $5. Mike and I lived down the street from each other, and we were both paper boys for the Contra Costa Times. Contra Costa County is one of the nine counties the San Francisco Bay Area. The town of Concord is in sort of the north central part of it. My mom and my sister worked for the Contra Costa Times as well, taking classified ads. Mike and I had to have the papers delivered by seven o'clock in the morning, seven days a week. That meant in the summertime, at seven o'clock in the morning, we were the only two teenagers up on our street. So we shared lots of time together. As you may have learned from my earlier episodes, I kept scrapbook in high school. So I still have one of my service awards after I had been delivering the times for two years. I think I delivered for four or five years all the way past high school graduation. I quit right before I went off to college. And then you'll see my collection book. I even have my route number C206. Here's an overhead view of our neighborhood and our paper routes. On the left-hand side, it's Mike's route, and on the right-hand side was my route. Mike and I had lots of adventures in the early mornings in Contra Costa County. I remember one morning, a Doberman pincher got loose, got out of their backyard, and started chasing me. Luckily, I still had about 20 papers left to deliver. So as I was running home, I was throwing the newspapers at the dog to keep the dog off me and ran into the house. Of course, later on that day, My newspaper advisor called me because 20 people didn't get their newspapers. I let her know there's a dog loose. I'm not going to let myself get bitten by a dog. Mike and I got really good at tossing the papers. And we could, from far away from the sidewalk, we could throw it up there and get it right on the porch. And each day, the paper weighed a different amount. Sunday, of course, was the biggest day, and you had to fold it in half. That was a tough one to throw up and get on the porch. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday and Saturday, we would fold the paper into thirds and we could throw it up there. We could curve it and thin it. It was a lot of fun. Our favorite day was Thursday. Thursday, we would fold in half. It's a little bit bigger because they had more ads, but it wasn't as heavy as Sunday and we could really zing those with high accuracy. Mike was a lefty and he was a good pitcher and he could throw a good curveball and he had learned how to make the newspapers just really curve and into a really cool loop. Sometimes we would get up extra early. Early in the summer mornings, so that we could just go on each other's routes. And we would talk, we would listen to my transistor radio, we'd listen to Dr. Don Rose on KFRC. And Mike said, Hey, Glenn, I've been working on this curveball watch. It's really neat. What he said, I'm going to throw it, it's going to look right like it's going at that window. There was a window on sort of the side of the house. And then he goes, It's going to curve and land right on the porch. And I knew he was really good at, at making the newspaper curve. So he throws it. (laughs) It didn't get a chance to curve. It just went right through that side window. And he goes, come on, Glenn, let's book it. I'm like, Mike, we're busted. (laughs) Right in the middle of all that glass, it says the Contra Costa Times. Mike and I had a friend in the neighborhood, Peter, who had some friends that lived in Chinatown in San Francisco, and they had access to get good fireworks. So starting from like May and June, Mike and I were buying these fireworks from our friend Peter, who would get them from Chinatown. We made over a hundred dollars a month and back in the seventies that was pretty good money. And so we bought lots of fireworks. Well, we figured out you could open up the little wick and take out some of the gunpowder and it would slow down the wick so that it took more time before the firecracker blew up. So we would you know, put them in people's flower pots in their porch, and then we would light it. We had the wick, so it would take like 30 seconds to blow up, and we'd just go out in the street and be playing catch, and then it would blow up, and the neighbors would come out, we'd be look, look, like, hey, what the heck happened? A <laughs> little mischief from some teenagers. Our newspaper had a special newspaper for the carriers. That's what they called us, newspaper carriers. I guess that was, they were trying not to be uh gender specific and say paper voice. Anyway, we were called carriers and this was a carrier newspaper called The Routeabout to motivate you to increase your subscriptions so that you could deliver more papers and get more people to subscribe to the paper. They gave us incentives. For example, we could win tickets to the demolition derby one year. I think you can see it's September 1976 and Mike and I each won tickets. It was easy for Mike and I to win tickets because the area that we delivered newspapers in, they were still building new houses. So when they were build a new house, our subscriptions went up. So we were always winning prizes. This is another newspaper article from my scrapbook from the route about Carrier newspaper, where Mike and I had won tickets to see the Phillies play the Giants. This is Mike right here. This is me here. Back in the 70s, the Giants didn't have that Oracle Park that they have right now that's so beautiful. They used to play at candlestick which had this ugly AstroTurf and was a concrete donut stadium. I mentioned concrete donut stadiums in episode 10, The Beauty of Imperfection. But anyway, Mike and I were just happy to go to the game. This is him here. I love that happy face. That was a typical happy face for Mike. Here I am. And this is real fuzzy here. I tried to zoom in on it, but this is Mike and I as well. On other occasions, Mike and I would go to San Francisco Giants games. But you'll notice I'm wearing a Cub hat. We had moved in 1974 from suburban Chicago to the San Francisco Bay Area. While I could root for the A's when we went to the games in Oakland, the Cubs were my favorite team in the National League and my favorite team, period. And so I would root for them there. One time, Mike and I were at a game and the Cubs were playing the Giants and the Cubs were winning and I was cheering loudly. I'm sure I was a little bit obnoxious. All of a sudden, I hear a fan from about five rows up yell, "Hey, Mr. Cub!" And I turn around and I look, and he tosses this big old beer at me, and I just some amoeba coming at me, and it just splashed down on me. Of course, everybody laughed when I went home. My dad's like, "Son, have you been drinking?" <laughs> I never drank, but I, I sure seemed pretty guilty going home smelling a beer. As I mentioned, we had money, we had disposable income, and we love sports. Not just Mike and I, but also the other kids in the neighborhood. There were some other newspaper carriers, Mark Elliott, Jim Gelfie, and some others. Sometimes we would bet on sporting events. I don't know, I just, I started thinking I was some sort of a genius. You know, it's, it's, it's not good when you win a couple of Get addicted to it. So now let's fast forward to 1977. I still love the Cubs, and they say love is blind, so I thought the Cubs were good. You may know that the Cubs didn't win a World Series from 1908 until 2016. So in 1977, that was the middle of the drought. They didn't have a chance to win, but I thought they were going to be good. And so I was bragging to everybody at the beginning of the 1977 season about how good the Cubs were going to be. Well, Mark Elliott, one of the other newspaper carriers, and I made a series of bets, and it was about certain Cubs versus other players. Like I remember I said, Ivan De Jesus is gonna hit higher. He was a shortstop. Then the shortstop on some other team and that Rick Rossville, the cup pitcher was gonna win 20 games. And I made this series of, of bets with Mark Elliott. We made six $5 bets. And Mike and I, uh, the you know, the friend I'm talking about, we made one bet for five dollars and I don't even remember what it was. But then Mark was sick and tired of me talking about the Cubs. And he said, You know what, Glenn? The Cubs suck. They're not even gonna win half their games. I said, well, What do you mean they're not gonna win half their games? Of course they win, they'll win 81 games. Baseball, they play a lot of games. It's a hundred and sixty-two game season. I said, they'll they'll win eighty-one games. As a matter of fact, they'll win more than that. Back in those days in the National League East Division division, there were 16. Mark said, you know what? I'll bet you the Cubs come in fourth, fifth, or sixth that they'll be in the second half of the division. I said, no, they'll come in first, second or third for sure. And he said, how much you want to bet? I said, five bucks. He goes, make it 10. I said, make it 15. He said, make it 20. I said, make it 25. I said, make it 30. We got up to $100. So in the 1977 baseball season, I had bet $130, five $6 bets with Mark and one $100 bet with Mark. And I had one $5 bet with Mike. I looked up in the baseball almanac just to verify for myself and for you, how well the Cubs were doing halfway through the season. The W's here stands for wins, and this is their one loss record. So you see, in June, they had an eight-game winning streak. And by June 28, 1977, the Chicago Cubs had won 47 games and lost 22. Remember, I thought if they win just over half, and if they win 82, 83, 84 games or more, they're gonna be in the top half and I'm gonna win that hundred dollar bet from Mark so I was happy they were 25 games over 500 I thought I've got it made in the shade well here are <laughs> here are the last 10 games or so you could see that the Cubs lost their last five games in the season they lost eight of their last nine. Here on September 22nd, they were 80 and 73. I thought, okay, for sure, they're going to win 82, 83 games, and I'm going to win this bet. And then they lost, 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 1 1, lost. Here they are at 81 wins, lost, 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 lost. And here were the final standings. As they lost eight of their last names, nine games and their last five games of the season, the St. Louis Cardinals passed them up. And the Cubs, even though they won half their games, ended up in fourth place. And I lost the $100 bet. I won seven bets that summer. And I lost... One, I won the $5 bet with Mike, and I won the six $5 bets with Mark, but I lost the $100 bet because my cubbies, true to form, lost their last five games of the year. So I was like, crap, I'm out $65 total, right? So I lost 100 to Mark, and I won 30 so I owed him $70. So I paid him the next day. Of course, he was laughing, but I don't watch on my bets, so I paid him the $70. And then I went to Mike, who was my friend. I said, okay, Mike, you owe me five bucks. He said, okay, okay. I'm out of money because I spent all my money on whatever, Silly String and Doritos. And we loved going to Baskin Robbins and getting mint chocolate chip milkshakes. They were so good. He said, I'm all out of money, but we get paid next week. So next week comes and he gets paid. And I said, you know, do you have the $5? And he says, no, I'm going to the fall festival at De La Salle High School tonight. And so I don't have it. I was mad. You know, I had paid $70 to Mark. Like, dude, give me my five bucks. So, you know, he went off to the fall festival and I was ticked off at him. And anyway, next payday came and, and, and he didn't pay me either. And so finally I said to him, I said, you know what, Mike? every day you don't pay me, you owe me another dollar. Okay? If you don't pay me tomorrow, then you owe me six. And the next day, seven. The next day, eight. Well, he didn't pay me. And I got mad and I stopped talking to him. We just walked by each other silently as we would do our paper routes. The days went by and I was just too mad to talk to him and he didn't pay up. That was my junior year in high school. And I mentioned in episode two, that I was very small for my age. As a matter of fact, as you see us sitting there, you'll see Mike's a little taller than me. And Mike is almost three years younger than me. He's three years behind me in school and he was bigger than me. He's six foot five now. Anyway, we were good friends in spite of the age difference because of being newspaper carriers and having all that time to spend together and goof off. I was excited because I had grown a little bit. I was now five foot four, I weighed 112 pounds. And I decided to go out for the wrestling team. And I was excited. I was doing actually pretty good. They had a tournament called the Novice Tournament, where all the new wrestlers from the whole Diablo Valley Athletic League, the nine high schools, got together and had a tournament. I came in third place in the tournament. Eventually, I moved my way up and I wrestled varsity. By the season end, I think I had won 11 and lost nine. And I thought that was pretty darn good. But I didn't get to tell my friend Mike about it. I wanted to tell him, but I just couldn't because of my pride. I was so mad that he owed me that five dollars and that he watched on that bet. All of a sudden, one day, there's a knock on my door, and I answer it, and I look up at six foot five, Mr. Biasotti. This picture is a recent picture. I wish I had him from the seventies so that you could see him. But you see that beautiful smile and those kind eyes. And he came out, and he had five dollars in his hand. And he said, Glenn, it breaks my heart that you and Mike aren't talking. I asked him what happened, and he told me he owes you $5 from a bet about the 1977 baseball season, and I've come here to pay his debt so that you guys can be friends again. Mm-hmm. And I said, No, Mr. Biasati, Mike needs to pay me, and he knows that he owes me. <laughs> I didn't laugh at somebody like $50. He owes me $50 because it's been 45 days since our bet. And I closed the door. Can you believe that? Can you believe the pride and the rebellion that was in me? And Mr. Biasati just turned and walked away. After Mr. Biasadi's visit, I began having dreams at night. I would dream that Mike and I made up and that we would show off all our new twists and and curves as we threw the paper. That I could tell them about my successful wrestling season. That We could listen to Dr. Don Rose, the morning DJ, and laugh together. That we could blow off some fireworks and people's potted plants and laugh and laugh. That we could fend off those dogs who were chasing us. And we could go to Baskin-Robbins and get a mint chocolate chip, shake, and eat a whole bag of Doritos each. And I would wake up in the morning sad. Finally, in March, about five or six months later, I decided to talk to Mike. It's time to tell him I forgive him. We would cross each other's path in the neighborhood, but we would not talk. One day, I was riding my bike home from school, from Ignatia Valley High School. Mike was already home from his school, which was called Most Precious Blood, the Catholic School. And I rode by him. I said, hey, Mike, come here. I want to talk to you. Even though he was bigger than me, I was older than him. And he was a little bit afraid of me sometimes, especially because I was so mad about that five bucks. But he sheepishly came over. And I said, hey, I don't care about the five dollars. I miss you, man. And he said, I miss you too. And we became friends again. I'm so grateful for Mr. Biasati. I'm grateful that he taught me that being a man doesn't mean you have to chase down people if they cut you off. That You can let things go. You can let things be. And focus on your own life and your own happiness. We'll let $5 stop you from being friends with somebody. And so just a couple months later was when the incident happened that he taught me about the road rage. I'm thankful for Mr. Biasati. Down the street, my friend's dad, who has no idea how much he influenced me and the good that he did in teaching me to let go of road rage. Just focus on being happy and not getting all bent out of shape over $5 and letting go of my pride and enjoying friendship, even when my friends are imperfect, because I'm imperfect, too. We all are. If we could only have perfect friends, we're not going to have many friends. As I learned to let it be, I just think of this Beatles song, and I want to play for you the story of how Paul McCartney was inspired to write the song. And afterwards... We'll join in with James Corden and Paul McCartney as they sing first verse to Let It Be. Afterwards, John, Ringo and George will join us for our sing-along. Your music is so full of positivity and joy and a message of love and togetherness. I feel like it's more relevant now today And it's maybe ever been. That's maybe one of the strangest things. We expected it to last 10 years, but it keeps going on and on and on, and it keeps being relevant. Yeah. Um, I had a dream in the 60s, where my mum, who died, came to me in the dream and was reassuring me, saying, it's gonna be okay, just let it be. And I went, I felt so sort of great and like, Oh boy, it's gonna be great, you know. She gave me the positive word. So I woke up and I went, what was that? What did she say? Let it be. So I've never heard that. Yeah. That's kind of good, you know. So I wrote the song, Let It Be, but it was her positivity. That's the most beautiful story I've ever heard. When I find myself in times of trouble, not a man comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Uh-huh. And in my hour, hour of darkness, she is standing there in front of me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Yeah, let it be. 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 Yeah. Let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be the harmony. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Yeah. Let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be. Woo. Oh man. It got me emotional there, Paul. It did. It did. I was. I'm so not, I didn't feel it coming. It's too much for me. Oh, I, I was I was uh Ooh. I couldn't feel I didn't see that one coming around the corner. No. <laughs> that's great man, you're Jeez. telling you that's the power of music, it's weird isn't it, how that can do that to you? Well I can remember, I can remember my granddad who's a musician, mm. and my dad sitting me down and saying, we're going to play you the best song you've ever heard, and I remember them playing me that. Really? If my granddad was here right now, he'd get an absolute kick out of this. He is. Woo! Oh, man. When I find myself in times of trouble, like a man. Of wisdom, let it be. Take me by out darkness. She is staying by. people living in the world of the green, there will be an answer, let it, let it be. Though the baby party, there is still a chance that they will see, there will be an answer, let it be. Let it be. There is still light that shines on me. Shine out till tomorrow, let it be. I wake up to the sound, music. can find the video version of this podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or on the website beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. This channel does not provide therapeutic advice. It is intended for informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical diagnosis or treatment. Please seek advice with licensed therapists in your area.